0: Thank you, Pastor John. It's a treat to be back in Sheboygan. I don't know about this. I had to lower the pulpit in the other place about six feet and raise this one, so must have different size pastors up here. (laughs) But it is really, really good to be back. I love coming back to Sheboygan, and Trish really loves coming back to Sheboygan. She really likes that white stuff that you throw out there for us every time we've been back. And uh, as an old desert rat, I can do without it, but uh, she's been trying to teach me to like winter and had been doing a pretty good job until we moved to Texas, but uh, it's good to be back. We've appreciated it. This is actually our fifth missions conference we've had the privilege of being a part of. And you folks have always been incredibly gracious. A little over a year ago, we asked John if it would be possible just to come back and say thank you for your part in our lives in ministry. It didn't work out at last year's conference, so I said, how about if we come back in 13 and just say thank you? And he said, that'll be great. And then a few months ago, he wrote and says, well, while you're saying thank you, why don't you preach? (laughs) So uh, always an honor, and we're grateful for that. Uh, Never never feel worthy, never feel like it ought to be me up there, and I love to be back with the missionaries and hear the stories, especially as we heard last night from John uh, with the great things that God's doing around the world. So thank you. You were a part of our lives for a number of years, and we are very, very grateful for that. So I was reflecting on getting ready for today, since we first came, and our first visit here, I was just asked to speak. You guys didn't know me from Adam, and so it was just a, a fun time to come and share in the conference, and now as we come, I, I think he just told you it was my last time here, didn't he? Is that what you heard? <laughs> but uh, on our way out from the support here. Uh, it's been fun just to watch what God has done in the world during those years. You know, 9/11 obviously was a part of that. In our ministry, uh, we've seen some incredible changes. As John mentioned, HCJB was basically shortwave radio for years. Uh, now we have given away all of our transmitters. We're not broadcasting in shortwave. We rent time on one station to do a little bit of broadcasting in North Africa and Southern Russia, but we're not doing shortwave. Uh, We're in the process of turning over the leadership of our hospitals in Ecuador to national leadership. We're moving much more to what our president calls a more nimble ministry. Uh, Infrastructure uh, is killing missions today because finance is so hard to come by anyway. Missionaries have trouble finding support And mission organizations have trouble finding support just to keep the doors open and the lights on. And because the world is changing so fast, if we're going to insist on doing it today the way we did it yesterday, we'll be dead tomorrow. And so we're trying to learn how to do that. So our ministry has translated from everything focused in Quito, Ecuador, and broadcasting to the world and two hospitals there, to helping local believers around the world plant radio stations. We call them community stations because our commitment is that the community will be glad they're there. But they're there to represent Jesus Christ. And we're not putting them in the United States. We're not even putting them in Western Europe because Western Europe won't allow it. But we're putting them in places, some of them we can't even tell you where they are, it's not because we don't know, it's because we can't trust you to know where they are. Uh, you know, it's one of those, if I told you, either I would have to shoot you or they would shoot me uh, for passing on that word. But God has opened some incredible doors. We, we can say there are three stations in Iraq, uh, one of them in Baghdad, uh, and several other places that you would be thrilled to know. Uh, so, so know that the word is going out. And those stations, we've seen about 500 now, raised up over the past eight or nine years. And God is doing some wonderful things. One one of the most exciting stories comes out of Indonesia, which is, as most of you are aware, the, the largest Muslim population in the world. It's not a Muslim country, even though there's many people there trying to make it a Muslim country. But there are more Muslims there than any place else in the world And God has allowed us with our partners over there to see it's now just past 50 of these community radio stations. And it's exciting to see what happens. In in that part of the world, people still tend to go to the radio station to listen to it. But they also are involved in many other areas. In fact, those 50 stations average over four people every day at every station praying to receive Jesus Christ. One of those stations in the last six years has planted 250 local station, or local churches in their area. Now, those aren't massive churches like this. They'll meet in huts and in villages, but they're people who come to know Jesus Christ and want to meet together. They, they have a hard time having the, what we think of as the Billy Graham-type evangelistic crusades. Obviously that would be very difficult to get away with in Indonesia and could generate more struggles than you would wish. So they say, we call for listeners meetings. And so everybody that listens to a radio and their FM station and depending on where the antenna is, how far that will reach, but it's a very populous area and there are 17,000 islands there. So not all of them populated, but the majority of them have people on them. So one of those radio stations pretty well covers one of the islands, except for the couple of really big islands. So they'll announce there's gonna be a listeners gathering. And that's perfectly okay. You listen to the radio, come together. And so hundreds of people will come together and talk about what they've been hearing on the radio and invite their friends to come. And so there are non-evangelistic evangelistic meetings are bearing incredible fruit in that part of the world even though they face tremendous danger. Ecuador, we're not only out of the shortwave business, moving out of hospital, but we're moving more and more into uh, what we call the more nimble clinic based healthcare. And our commitment is in putting in local stations around the world, put in health clinics with them. Because the health needs in most places in the world are very severe, and if we can minister to people where they are, that's what we want to do. And God is providing some great opportunities for that, as well as putting in clean water systems, Uh, not only in Ecuador, uh, we've been putting in several in Africa and working in several other places, just trying to be what we call the voice in hands of Jesus. And those are great, great privileges. That's why Tricia and I are having so much trouble using the R word. You know, retirement, uh, we, we try to stay away from that. Uh, we, we qualified for it a long time ago, but aren't quite there. So we've, we've broken it down. We call it semi-retired. And we're not sure yet what that means. Uh, you know, as he said, we, we were in the jungle of Ecuador on Wednesday this past week, in the city of Quito on Thursday, in Chicago on Friday, and here the weekend. And Lord willing, we'll be in an airplane tomorrow night and Tuesday in Turkey. But just great privilege to be where God is working and see some of the things that He's doing. And then because we had so much time left over, I just joined the church as one of the pastors at our church, Allen Bible Church in Allen, Texas, our own city, which we, people ask me if we founded it, and I say, no, we just come back to claim our own. But uh, God's doing some great things, and we're not ready to quit. We just are loving what God's doing and appreciate the opportunity. And I appreciate the opportunity to open the Word today, so if you'll turn with me to the book of Romans, chapter 1. This morning for me is one of those very difficult things for a preacher, and that is I've been given an assigned text, and it's really short. And the difficulty is not to preach from one text like that. The difficulty is not to get too much of your own opinion in it, when you can read the whole thing in four seconds. And yet to realize the beautiful, wonderful message that God has put here, Uh, theme for the week, as you've noticed or heard, uh, is faithful. Wanting to focus on a God who is faithful. Because if we do not have a faithful God, then your faithfulness and my faithfulness is immaterial. We can be faithful followers of the brewers or the packers. And that sounds good and it makes a lot of noise, but it does not make a lot of difference. So we have to start with a God who is faithful. We also start with a God who is faithful in a world who isn't interested in that God. There are many places right here in our own country who aren't interested in that, which causes you and me to ask the question, do I have a right to go to somebody and tell them you need to know my God? Do I have a right to say to somebody, if you do not believe the way I believe, you don't have a chance? Now, when you say it that way, it gets really marginal, doesn't it? And yet, this text today basically says that. So I hope it's a time of encouragement for us as we realize what it is that God has placed us here for and as we're reminded that we want to serve a faithful god who calls us to imitate him. John last night referred to the book of Lamentations. We look back there in chapter 3 where it talks about God's faithfulness. Verse or chapter 3 says your mercies are new every morning great is thy faithfulness. Romans chapter 1 verse 16 James quoted it a few moments ago, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. How am I going to be faithful? I want to be faithful. I want to do what is right. I want God to be able to trust me. I want God to be able to use me. So in reading through these verses and preparing for today, I really sensed that God was saying, Jim, there's three keys to faithfulness. If, if you want to be faithful, there's three things you need to know, be, be aware of, coming out of this text. Number one, I need to understand the gospel. Now, I... I I understand Evangelical Free Church, Sheboygan, Wisconsin is a fine church with a great pastoral staff who believe and teach the Word of God. So in some senses, this morning is Faith 101. But sometimes we just need to stop and be reminded of some of those things as we take a look at what it is that God is asking for based on who He is. So I need, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Now, Brian and John had a worse deal than I got because the two of them had to share one verse. I at least get a whole verse, but I have to preach it twice, so we kind of even it out with that. Uh, And they both did a great job. If you heard Brian on Friday night, a great presentation really of the theology that we find in verse 16, of the great truth about the atonement, that gift that God gave in paying the price for our sin. John last night, some great encouragement of what God is doing around the world by bringing salvation to everyone who believes. But what is the gospel? I'm sure you have heard the term that it simply means good news. It's obviously important to Paul as he writes to the Romans because just in the first 17 verses, actually the first 16 verses, he refers to it four times in this first chapter. Chapter 1, Paul, an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Verse 9, for God whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his son is my witness as to how increasingly I make mention of you. Verse 15, so for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. The gospel is good news. And it's defined for us in 1 Corinthians. If you'll just look over there for just a second, in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, it's a great reminder that we just need to keep coming back to because if this is the gospel that Paul sought to preach, it's the gospel that we need to be sure we're preaching. But he says in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you receive, in which you also stand, By which you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. In other words, I'm preaching the gospel, it is the only way you're going to get saved or come into a right relationship with God. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas... Then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. So the gospel, he says, is simply the fact that Christ died, he was buried, he rose again, and he proved it. And that's where it all gets started. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it's the power of God for salvation. It's the only way people can come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. It's hope, it's true, it's powerful, and it points people in the right direction. And it starts with Christ. One of the things that our church in Allen, Texas is doing is seeking to partner with local ministries in different places around the world where we can be involved in those ministries and sending people there. And one of our pastors was recently in India, in fact, in January of this year, up in the northern part, and he came back and he shared the story that he was invited in this one village to go to a house and just present the gospel. And Brad is our minister of worship and outreach, and so he went and he said there were about 20, I forget exactly what he said, 24, 25 people in this house, and the guy that was with him, who was doing the interrupting for him, said, uh, just give them the gospel. So Brad did, and he's, then he got to the end, and he said, how many of you would like to receive this Christ who's presented in the gospel as your own Savior? And he said, every hand in the room went up. And immediately, as us cynical Western preachers do, we thought, no, they didn't understand it. We didn't make it clear. So he said, I repeated." picture of the gospel, what it meant to receive Christ. How many of you want to do it? Every hand went up. So he led them in a prayer, then turned them over to the interrupter who would help with the follow-up. And as soon as he finished, one of those guys came up to him and said, would you go tell my father this story? And Brad had said, how many of you have heard this before? And not a hand went up. And one guy said, We've heard about Jesus, but we have no idea how to please him, how to come to him, what what it's all about. And we've been waiting for a long time for somebody to come and tell us. They didn't use the word, he said, but we've been waiting for somebody to come and tell us the gospel. So this guy says, will you come and tell my father? Brad says, well, sure. So they headed over for his father's house, and by the time he got there, there were 31 other people in his dad's house. And exactly the same thing happened. How many of you want to receive this Christ as your Savior? 31 hands went up. Are you sure? 31 went up again. Have you heard this before? Never. But we knew about Jesus and we've been waiting for somebody to come. You see, the gospel is the power of God that when it's made known, people respond. It's not my message. It's God's message. Good news comes with incredible power. We need to remember that. So if I'm going to be faithful to this God who is faithful, I need to understand the gospel. I need to realize it's not about me. It's not about my skills, and boy, am I glad for that. It's not about where I'm willing to go or what I'm willing to do. It's about God and what He's done in the person of His Son. So I have to start with understanding the gospel. Then the second thing that is here, and you've got to have an alliteration, so it says here, the righteousness in it, it being the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. That word revealed literally means uncovered. So we have to understand the gospel and we have to uncover God's righteousness to realize what that's talking about because the gospel gives us an incredible presentation of God's faithfulness and really his righteousness. And righteousness is simply the state of being right. How many of you like to be righteous? It's a pretty comfortable position, isn't it? To know you are right. The difficulty is, if we're not sure we're right, what do we do? We probably get louder, don't we? <laughs> Especially if we're in a discussion with somebody. We, we have to yell. We, we either get louder or we run if we're not sure. So, the righteousness of God comes and is uncovered by the gospel. The rightness of God and His faithfulness. We had the privilege just early last year of seeing an incredible demonstration of that and of God's faithfulness. I mentioned we we have satellite ministries that cover the whole Spanish speaking world, the whole Russian speaking world, and the whole Arabic speaking world. And the young man, who really still has elementary-age children, who heads up our Arabic broadcast. Incidentally, are you aware there are 20-some dialects of Arabic? So you can't just simply preach in Arabic and everybody fully understand it. There's, you've got the Berber on the west coast of Africa, and you get all the way over to Iraq and Iran in that side, and dialects as they go along. But uh, he heads up that ministry. He does not live in North Africa, although he is North African. You will not hear his name nor his country from my lips. But a relative of his told the police in his home country whose voice that was, that was coming in. And so they sent word they wanted to talk to him. Now, if you are his pastor within the mission, how do you counsel him? So I talked to him everything in my heart, my Western heart said, don't go, you don't live in the country, you don't have to go back, you don't know what will happen, why don't you just not go? So I was far more godly than that. And I said, do you, do you really believe you have to go? He says, well, absolutely. So I said, okay. So, I got very godly again, and I said, well, how shall we pray for you as you go? He said, pray that I would be faithful and would be given the opportunity to share the gospel. I said, wait a minute. You're being called into court because you've shared the gospel. And your prayer request is to share the gospel. So, he went. Obviously, I can tell you the story now, so... You know, ahead of time, he came back. He expected to be arrested when he landed in the country. He was not. So three days later, he appeared before the judge that had summoned him. And one of the very opening questions after they said, are you the guy that's on the radio? and He said, yes. He said, would you tell this court what it is that you preach? And he did. I mean, it was an absolute answer to his prayer, what he'd asked us to pray for. And he had a chance in that courtroom to share the gospel. When he finished, and I I can't give you the exact words because I got them through translation anyway, the judge said, interesting. Okay. You're free to go. Just... Let us know where we can in touch with you if we need to have you back. And turned him loose. Now, we still don't know where that's going or what's going to happen. But that didn't happen because that country has kicked out missionaries by the dozens in recent years. They've treated others very poorly. The local people who profess faith in Jesus Christ, very tough time. In fact, first time Trish and I were in the country, we were going to visit somebody that was very involved in the ministry there, and we had to be very surreptitious as to how we got there. Rode a train into the city, took a taxi to within walking distance of where he was, and then kind of wandered aimlessly through neighborhoods and suddenly jumped in through a gate. But a faithful God took a faithful man, and the gospel got presented in an Islamic court. And those are the things that I keep coming back to when I remember and try to remember the power of the gospel and the faithfulness of God and what he asked me to be a part of in my own faithfulness. The word righteousness itself is a very important biblical word. It appears 308 times in Scripture. The word righteous appears 300 times. And the word justify or just or justification, which comes from the same root, appears an equal number of times. Very, very important. And it's simply the character of being right or just or fair. Or, as it's used in Romans chapter 5, therefore having been justified by faith, or some of your versions read having been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God. So this whole idea of righteousness is the idea of being right. I like what one commentator, F.F. Bruce, said about it. He said, to understand the sense in which the gospel reveals God's righteousness, it is necessary to keep in mind some facts about righteousness in the Old Testament, which is the background to Paul's thoughts and action. And we need to remember that. To skip the Old Testament leaves us with a lot of blanks when we read the New, because we don't understand the context. But right and wrong in Scripture are forensic terms. Now, that's a big word that means legal. So, if you are right in a biblical concept, that means it's been settled before a judge. In other words, someone with the authority to do it has said you are right. It's not something that you work up. It's not something that you overpower somebody to do. It's not something that, that you just come out with. And righteousness is not so much a moral quality as it is a legal quality now when you get into the whole issue of morality we get a whole lot of differing opinions aside from biblical truth but the actual hebrew word means you are in the right before the law so if i have been declared righteous by god he has said jim you are in the right you are right before me, literally, you're qualified for heaven. But when we read that God is righteous, obviously He meets whatever the standard is for righteousness. Can you imagine going to a basketball game and since moving to Texas, we have done a lot of that because our son-in-law coaches and our grandson plays on a couple of different teams. Uh, it helps that you're six foot 10 and your grandson is six foot, but) uh, the game starts, and all of a sudden, the whistle blows. And the referee says, foul. What did I do? You smiled. Wait a minute, where would you get that? That's not a rule. It's my rule. And immediately, kill the ref. We tell him kill the ref even when he's playing by the rules. But if the referee is going to make up his own rules... We got a mess. And we live in a world today that wants to make up its own rules. How many of your neighbors think they're good enough to get to heaven because they think they've done enough good? And we find that all over the world. Basically, all world religions are based on learning to be good enough to earn heaven or whatever they call the afterlife. If something is going to be righteous, there has to be a standard. And that standard has to be right. And so when we read about the righteousness of God, we're reminded that A, it's His, and He is the standard. And that's encouraging to me because I can then, based on that, say to you, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name given among under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. You see, the standard has been established, and it's been established by God because it is God who died, was buried, and rose again and proved it. So, God being righteous reveals that to us in the gospel. Who else would give himself to die on a cross for somebody else? Who else could raise from the dead for somebody else? Or for any reason. So when we talk about the righteousness of God being revealed, we're reminded that the gospel shows us that God is righteous, that God is right, that God is the standard, that God is the one who sets the rules. And that means I have the right to go to you lovingly, kindly, gently, understandingly, whatever nice words you want me to use, and tell you that you need to know Jesus. But so many times we get intimidated because the world says, what right do you have coming and telling me that you are right and I'm wrong? Have you heard that? Read that in different places? You know, you don't have a right to tell me. My religion teaches this. Your religion teaches that. You keep your religion. I'll keep my religion. And we could say, although I hope we don't, go ahead and keep your religion if you want to be wrong. Because it's not about us. And that's the hard thing we have to communicate. The rightness is about God. And God's rightness is uncovered, is demonstrated, is shown to us in the gospel, in what He has done. And that's why we can send missionaries to Turkey, to Indonesia, to Thailand, to Africa and say to them, you must be born again. Now, we need to learn creative ways to say it. We always need to be gracious in how we say it. We always need to consider the culture in which we're saying it. All of those things that are part of missions. But bottom line is, we can have incredible confidence. Because it's not about us. And as soon as I make it about me, Then my confidence disappears, and everything else changes. So when I need to realize that I must understand the gospel, and I need to see righteousness uncovered, I I need to see that revealed so that I grasp the fact that God is the standard. He's the basis for that message that we're going to share And in the context of so many people trying to please God, I would venture to say that most of your neighbors are hoping to go to heaven, whatever that means to them. But they've got their own ideas of how they'll get there. And usually in this country, it's, well, I, I, I'm pretty good. I've done more good than bad. In Ecuador, on Good Friday of 1985, Trish and I went to the Good Friday Parade. And I tell everybody that I have met, if you go to Ecuador and you're going to be there Easter week, go to the Good Friday parade, but I will guarantee you one thing, you'll only go once. We have not been back since Easter of 1985. In that parade, it is made up almost totally of people who are doing penance to atone for their own sins. They're walking barefoot down the street. They're beating their backs with ropes. They used to pay people to beat them with whips, and then the government outlawed that because it had become a very gruesome kind of a thing. But they'd march down the street, and there were hundreds of them, most of them wearing masks so nobody would know who it was that was atoning for their sins. But they felt like doing this would make God happy. And you'd just sit there and weep because your righteousness and mine aren't enough. and That's why I need to recognize the truth of the righteousness of God. And it's interesting because some versions read, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed that it comes, the righteous, and others read the righteousness from God comes. And both are correct. It's God's righteousness, And he makes it available to men as they come to him. And it says, from faith to faith. Now, that's something we wouldn't say in English. So that's not something that, that we would grasp right away. But to the Greek, that's a very common thing. And it basically says, this thing that we're talking about, whatever it is, here it happens to be righteousness. This thing starts with faith and it ends with faith. There's nothing else in there. So it's a, it's a very strengthening phrase that says, this is only faith related. The only way you get this is by trusting God, by your faith. It's the Hebrews 11.6, without faith it's impossible to please God. So it's, it's just the strength of that that comes as we respond to Him. And when we respond in faith to Him, we get... A God kind of righteousness. That we are right before God. Something we could never achieve on our own. But getting that makes me fit for heaven. And so if you want to go to heaven, then you need to make sure you're fit for heaven. And the gospel reminds us that you can't do it yourself. And that's what we're all about. That's the message the world needs to hear. And that's why faithful becomes such a critical truth, even when it's just the theme of a missions conference. Because God is faithful. And he says, and I'd like you to be too. And that's our privilege. The gospel is a great revealer of what is right. And he calls us to let people know that. So I greatly appreciate what one writer said. He started with a question. Do you know what the most righteous thing you can do is? And the answer is the most righteous thing you can do is believe God. The most righteous thing you can do is not preaching, is not being a missionary, is not... Whatever you want to add to it, the most righteous thing you can do is to believe God. Because when I believe God, then I realize the gospel is true, and I learn what's right. And that's what I get to share with the world. So how's your righteousness today? Tonight, Lord willing, we want to talk about the last part of that verse, the righteous man shall live by faith. So if I believe it, what do I look like? But God calls us to faithfulness. he doesn't call us in a vacuum, he says, let me tell you what it looks like. Let me tell you what the good news really is. And then he says, then let me turn you loose and see what happens. May God help you to grasp the gospel to the point that you see it daily making a difference in where you live. And give you glimpses through it into the righteousness of God because it is great to know you're right. But only when you know it isn't about you. Heavenly Father, thank you today for men and women who get up on a cold morning and go to worship you, but aren't looking for that going to get them to heaven. I thank you for men and women who get up on any morning and get on an airplane or in their car or whatever it is and go to some place that you've asked them to go. To represent you, I thank you for men and women who, because of their conviction that the gospel is true and that you are the standard of what is right, that they'll go to their neighbors, that they'll live in their neighborhood and seek to help others understand what's right. Lord, thank you for these folks this morning. I pray that you would work in each one of our hearts as we rejoice in the gospel, acknowledging that it is true and that it does teach us who you really are and how righteous you are. And may we live daily by that standard, that it's not about us, that it's all about you. It's not about our preference. It's not about our definitions. So Lord, may that bring us to your feet and send us out with the confidence we need to rightly represent you in a world or more simply put, to just be faithful. So thank you for that. Thank you for our time together. We pray for the Adult Bible Fellowship that follows that some of these folks will be involved in. We just ask that you would do your work in our midst even today as we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for being here this morning. And as I'm always amazed that people listen, as you have when I speak, thank you for that. But may God bless you and encourage you as you walk with Him. Look forward to seeing you tonight.